Okay. Welcome, everyone. This is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I am your host, Rob Elba. It's great having you all here with me again, as always. And I have a guest calling in. It's probably freezing there now from Chicago. We're going to hear about it. I'm, I'm imagining by now it's freezing. I'd like to welcome back to the show, returning guest, Steve Carroll. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Hey, Rob. Hey, everybody. Nice to be here. Yes, getting a little bit chilly. Getting a little but chilly, fortunately, right? you know, you move up here, you have... Five different jackets for every 10 degrees of cold or warmth. Yeah. Which when I lived in Florida, that was one jacket from the 1980s. So, well, exactly. You know, My leather, I know, and it's sad because I never get, I barely, you know, you have a jacket that maybe you like, it's cool, but you you could hardly wear. You could wear like three days out of the, you know, the winter. Yeah. <laughs> you know how it is. You remember that. Yeah, I do. But do you miss it at all or you're, you're okay by being I'm up there? I'm okay. In, yeah, in, I like what we're at. frozen it's tundra. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. For, we have friends and family, of course, um, back in Florida, but right. um, and we were seeing them pretty regularly, and then COVID happened, so we hope to get back up to doing that again soon. Right. And uh, other than that, we like being here. It's good. All right, good. All right, so Steve, so the first, as people could tell from Steve's accent, he's not originally from the U.S., and you th- the first album you brought was uh, Armed Forces, Elvis Costello, right? Right. So you brought a Brit, but now you you I think you picked about as American a band and alternative mm-hmm. band as as uh, you could pick, pretty much, right? Yeah, I um, I've always loved American music, even going back to growing up in the UK. I well, built fourteen fifteen. I discovered Neil Young and just and went from there. And, oh, okay, uh, and okay. When we moved here, I mean, people talk about alt country and they throw these terms around, but I, this is really I don't know. It's just it's just sort of roots rock American music, you know. It's just rock and roll. I never really think about it. And this album definitely isn't alt country, but but the band somewhat is. You know, right. So All right. So what are we talking about? What's the band? What's the album? We are talking about Wilco's 2002 Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yes. And I was a little surprised. Not sur- I won't say surprised that you picked it, but I just didn't know. I know you have a, a, all different kinds of tastes, musical tastes and everything, but I was just, oh, okay. So so how big a fan were you of Wilco? Was like this the album that you discovered them, or were you already mm-hmm. a fan? Were you a fan of the previous band? No, I, I the first, I kind of backed into Wilco. Um, the first song that I heard that got me into Wilco was actually um, from the Sun Vault album, which came out around the mid-90s, uh, their album Trace, and they did a song called Drown. Scott cracks open, the wall's falling through the floor, just as well to keep it, I get some game in store, you're with me now, we'll be again, other points in between, and the cool, cool morning. And they just grabbed my ears because it had everything, it had these nasty guitars, but it had this kind of, you know, crunchy sort of roots Americana right. type feel to it. And I rushed out and got that album, which is a, a tremendous album, a lot of old country on that album. But, um, and then I said, well, what else is there? And I went back to Uncle Tupelo, which Sunvolt and Wilco both came from. And then I discovered Wilco and, you know, uh, got into the second album, Being There, which I thought was really good. And they weren't pretty much, I don't, I enjoyed them, but they weren't 
quite at the top of my list at that at that time. You know, I, I found that, you know, we're going back to the 90s when you had CDs. And I think like, you, your, your own personal top 10 used to be what was in your CD case. Right, and then, exactly. Then, and then the real stuff that you're really listening to, if you had a visor, you had a CD visor, yep. right? Where you had like another five CDs on the visor. Yep, that's so it. So Wilco never really made it to the visor pre-2002, uh, okay. but they, they were definitely in the case. You right. know what I mean? Now, being there was one of those albums. That- trying my patience, trying carnations, red roses and yellow daffodils. Don't forget the flowers someday. I know you will. That was very different. It was uh, very eclectic and it had um, lots of different types of music on it. And there's a certain kind of, I've always been drawn to these artists that there's some artists that paint what they see and some artists that paint what they feel, you know, and this is kind of a band that's really trying to do more of the paint what they feel type material in amongst some sort of rock and roll type numbers, but they've never really, I don't think they ever, the couple of albums before this one were good, but I don't really think that they really felt like an album start to end. They felt like a collection of songs. Right, right, And this right. one was very, very different in the fact that it definitely felt like it was it was one large piece of work that, would, that had been worked on um, and put together over time. Right, which is... Which it was, and and you know, Steve, you'll be proud of me because actually, for I don't know if you'll be proud of me, but for homework, I actually watched the documentary. Um, no way, really? I, I okay. did. I, I found it. <laughs> I found it online. Yeah, and I watched it, and I enjoyed it. It's uh, I am trying to break your heart. Uh, the documentary on them, and it definitely because all right. Full disclosure, this album. You know, in in listening to it this week, Steve, I realized that one time I had this album. I I, I had this. Really? And but this is really the only Wilco I had, and I remember, you know, I could be a sourpuss sometimes. I think in listening to it now, I'm 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 still thinking, why why didn't I really, you know, grab? Why was I kind of down on it? And I think it's just because so many of my friends loved Wilco and they were mm-hmm. so into it. So me, automatically, it's like, what's the big deal? You know, I was like <laughs> being yeah. a contrarian, being the contrarian, and uh, yeah, and then. In uh, in revisiting it, I remembered it, and I, I also remember how strange a record it is, really, you know. And there's a whole there's a whole history. I mean, it's really interesting about uh, how what happened. So tell everyone real quick the the story because this was uh, it was originally it was supposed to come out September 11, two thousand one, which is probably right. better that mm-hmm. it didn't come out then. But what happened yeah. with their label? Because Reprise yeah. Records was well, was their label at the time. They were, and before all that, you got to remember that uh, Jeff Tweedy had a writing partner in Sunvolt with. There's two J's here, so people will have to follow on. When I talk about um, Jay Farrar, that's the guy from Sunvolt. Right. So that was kind of his... But they weren't really partners, you know. They kind of brought their own songs to Uncle Tupelo. Right. And then around the second album was when Jay Bennett comes along, who is to become Jeff Tweedy's writing partner for the next almost three albums. So, but but Tweedy's really got... And that's what I love about this record. And you've brought this up before with other albums. This is one of those turning point records where the band's really about to make a decision about what they're going to do going forward. Right. And this is a really ch- chancy decision because the record company's just been taken over by AOL Time Warner. And they, they want hits, baby. They want, it. Yeah, <laughs> they want yeah. it. Screaming up the charts. They want, they see a band like this and they think, well, why can't you guys put out material like The Counting Crows or... Or, you right, know, right, because like they already had a good following. You know, they they had a yeah. following and they would tour and they did good. But they wanted, obviously, the label wanted them to get. You know, we're going to get these guys to the next level. We're going to get some radio hits. And then they do they what they record. I mean, this, the studio lets them record this at their loft, like at their rehearsal yeah. loft. They mm-hmm. basically did it there. But then they d- deliver this album to them, and then what happens? And uh, the re- the record company Reprise Records says. We don't like any of this. Right. It's not even something that you can take back and rework. Just start over, you know. And they said, well, no, we're not going to do that. And we're going to take a big risk. So long story short, um, Reprise says, well, we're going to let you out. Just pay us 50 grand and you can have the tapes. And the management, uh, Milko's management at the time said, we think this is kind of a good deal. This might be able to put us somewhere where, you know, they're really going to get behind us. And then while they're deciding that, the record company calls them back and says, oh, you know, we mentioned that 50 grand. Don't even worry about the don't 50 grand. Don't even worry. Grand. Just don't take the record and get, get, get out of here. Get out of our lives. 
so um so they're not really sure what to do at the time and you know now sort of people are putting music on the internet and they think well, well let's put it up there for free right so they put it it was supposed to come out september 11 2001 and they put it out you know i think a couple of weeks later they put it up on the web for free and and it just gets a lot of people talking about the band and listening to the record and uh, within sort of next to no time, they're getting offers in from other record companies, including one that comes in from Nonsuch, who's owned by the same uh, AOL Time Warner. And that's great. That Isn't that, that great? Ultimately, yeah, they're owned by the same, so Nonsuch Records, yeah. It's even them. better than the rock and roll swindle thing with the Sex Pistols, how you can get them to exactly. get, record that album and cost like $200,000. And, and nobody really kind of at the record label sort of stage. But, you know, I, I honestly feel bad for the record companies, but... People are trying to make money. These people have got jobs to go Wait, to. Wait, Steve, did you just say you feel bad for the record company? I don't, not, not for the companies, but <laughs> maybe if, if you're their A and I agent and you're you're trying to somebody that's trying to get them, you know, right? <laughs> you got to make money on them. This isn't like uh, yeah. a lot of bands around, like the Bodines or the Jayhawks or these types of bands that were always always these critics sort of darlings. Yes, and they, yes. And, and the record companies would always have these people that would stand behind them, even though they were only selling a couple hundred thousand albums but they were always doing well on the tour but you think someone like reprise records they got neil young this is this is a label that 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 has that kind of credibility but but the game has changed and everything has changed at this point from a commercial sort of standpoint so tweedy's really gonna have to go out and say say this is this is where we want to be this is the direction i want to go and uh, you know to heck with everything else and and thinking about it from the perspective of there's a whole band that relies on him for an income as well as other people it's right. a really really kind of very chancy thing to do oh to yeah essentially put your whole career on this one album and so many artists have done that in the time so that's drawn me to this record too because i love that kind of stuff it's like a tom petty damn the torpedo sort of story as well you it's know? a really it's a great story because because ultimately what happens it becomes their most successful uh, album ever and it's uh beloved and it's uh, the critics loved it and it's you know and it's just and it became so successful and you know some someone at the label i'm sure said to someone else wait isn't this the record we passed on <laughs> yeah i'm sure stuff like that happens all the time but right i you know i wonder sometimes whether it would have gotten the same sort of national press as it did because of the story about the record labels and that oh yeah that, that people definitely would helped have yeah, yeah but it definitely them. got them into the story and it was a it was a good story to tell and i think that but i never thought of even on some of their other records that wilco isn't that isn't always that sort of band that's going to give you that self -grat that, that gratification the first time you sort of listen to it you know they're not oh yeah they're right. going to kind of build on you a little bit over, over time and and i think that and this is one of those records too and some of their others were kind of like that as well so they really needed to kind of spend some time with an album like this to really kind of get to know it and and find out what what really you enjoy about it you know yeah yeah and and i liked in the documentary uh, david frick said something really good because he basically kind of said the same thing you did he goes i'm thinking you know he's taking it if if i'm a guy at the label at a record company and i listen to it maybe he's not you know you're gonna listen to it and go what is this this is weird it's crazy he said but he's not the guy that's gonna get it it's like not for him you know <laughs> I think he's. I think the line was that I think the line that he says is, "It doesn't tell me who it's for. It doesn't tell yeah, me what exactly, it's about. Exactly, and it doesn't tell me how much money it's going to make." <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So that's, exactly. You know, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it does. Uh, so Tweedy's kind of one I love about this particular record too is Wilco's had all these different lineups over the years. I might say the one they have now with Nels Klein is probably my favorite but right, but the right. one that they did during the course of this record does not exist outside of this recording so jay bennett obviously gets fired during the recording right 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 and uh and the drummer uh glenn kotchke is that who's coach yeah i think Kuchke. it's going coach yeah. uh replaced ken coomer uh, like right. sort of mid like they they started recording some songs with ken coomer and he just wasn't getting what uh what jeff tweedy was trying to get him to do and then uh they bring in this uh, uh, jim O'Rourke, who, yeah, who we did recently, we did Gaster Del Sol, that album, and then he was involved mm -hmm. in that, and apparently he's just this, like, amazing producer, musician, and, yeah, he just kind of got what, what they were doing, he was on board, and he brought in uh, Glenn, who's a amazing drummer that that's the thing about this his band the uh, the band on this the playing is like so good right oh and the production too so what had happened was was tweedy had gotten into this uh 
played with the Summer Avant-Garde Festival and he'd always liked Jim O'Rourke's material and he found Jim O'Rourke to go play with and Jim was playing with Glenn. And he became enamored with Glenn's playing as yeah. a way that he can kind of deconstruct stuff and put it back together again. Right. He was able to listen real well. And not that Ken was a bad drummer, but, right. but Ken couldn't really kind of do that. So he he sort of brought the drummer in with him for these recordings. So so Glenn, at this point, a lot of this stuff's already recorded, at least in demo sort of fashion. And the first kind of instruction is to come to Glenn and say, OK, we're going to deconstruct every one of these songs and then build them back up together and we're going to put some of this kind of alternative atmospheric sound as well as uh, some of these unusual non-sort of instruments instruments into into the recording of all of that and uh, and try to make it this sort of unhinged kind of avant-garde album. Right. And Jim, Jim O'Rourke, who's kind of known for doing some of this stuff, actually had to pull them back from it. Oh, and he they, was the they one were going to actually, go, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they were going way, <laughs> way Well, that's keep... good. I mean, that's a, a producer. That's like one of the jobs of someone that's producing an album, right, is to sort of do that. Yeah, and he, to find the melodies and to find the songs. And, because sometimes, you know, you've been in the studio, you, you've ever spent a lot of time sort of looking at the same thing over and over again. Sometimes you just get blind to it. You, you just lose, keep yeah, trying you, lose yourself and he was able to come in and refine the melodies and, and find some of the direction of where the material would really needed to go yeah and the thing is if they had if like they had caved into the label and went in they could have taken these songs and made a much more traditional album oh, with yeah. a lot of these songs right and you could hear it and you could hear oh you know this could have been a regular but obviously it wouldn't have been the same thing and it's really it's interesting to think about what it did would it have even you know made the impact that this album has and I'm thinking probably not because, Probably not. Yeah, yeah. I, I, some of that I'm, I'll point it out when we go through the record. But there's there's glimpses of things that you hear in here. I hear Beatles and here I hear some George Harrison. I definitely. Hear oh yeah, right, some, right. George Harrison kinks, is something. I Kinks had, right. is, is in here. I think that um, you know I've always thought of like the holy trinity of indie music was was George Harrison, uh, the Kinks, and and maybe Sid Barrett. You know, if you oh, put all okay. of those three together, you get a lot of indie bands out of that mix. Maybe maybe Cheap Trick in there somewhere too. But there's a lot of indie music that sort of comes out of that. But That's great. But, That's good. I like that. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, so let's get into the record. Yeah, so right away with the first song, I'm trying to, to break your heart. And it's funny, the same thing, I, I guess there's a quote from Nunsunch Guy that he said when he heard this, like the first, you know, minute of it, he knew, he said, oh, okay, this, we're going to put this record out, you know. And he, so yeah. it's funny. He had the opposite reaction of the reprise person who listened to it, which is because, uh, yeah, there's uh, it's just, you know, you could tell right away there's something going on here. But uh, all right, let's listen to the opening track. I am trying to break your heart. just to play, play a little like two minutes of it because it's a long you know the song's almost seven minutes long and it goes mm. on this whole journey this weird journey of it you know we haven't even got to the I'm trying to break your heart part 
But um, yeah, I, I just the lyrics on this one. I am an American aquarium drinker. I assassin down the avenue. I'm hiding out in the big city, blinking. What was I thinking? I think in in these lyrics, there's a clue in one of the lines. He says, "You were so right when you said I've been drinking," and that's what this sounds like. This sounds like someone, mm-hmm. you know, is writing these lyrics just like sort of free associating uh, drunk in a way. Yeah, and I think that he's this kind of self-imposed isolation sort of path that he's beginning, um, where he thinks he's going, and I think that he's trying to say here. There's all these, he's being very self-deprecating and calling himself everything the worst that he could possibly be. Right. By saying, as if by saying, if that's what you think of me, then I'm all these other things too. Yep, right, um, right. And when I first heard, I'm an American aquarium drinker, this thought went in my mind of, and I'm wrong about this, by the way, but my initial thought was, you know, have you ever been to Epcot and then you've seen these deadbeat dads that drop their kids off at some exhibit and go to the English pub all afternoon? Yes. I thought it was something like that. Oh, okay. I mean, you go That's to the Shed yeah. Aquarium, <laughs> Chicago, you go to the Shed Aquarium, there's a bar That's upstairs. That's great. <laughs> I, I thought that must be what it is. He's yeah. like saying I'm a deadbeat dad. But I, later on, and then as you kind of learn a little bit more about what he does with lyrics, sometimes he kind of plays around with words and he just uses sort of these word ladders and things and sometimes he puts words in there that just have sort of a dramatic effect or right or, right, uh, right. or able to put some sort of color together but yeah he's definitely starting out the record in probably the worst shape that he's probably going to be and as yeah, the record right. sort of moves on you 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 know he hopefully tries to sort of pull some of this together and then by the end He's uh, quite clear with kind of where he's coming from by the very end. But this is about miscommunication. And uh, what you see, what I felt a lot in the album is this was an album about separation and the separation by uh, separation by distance, separation by time. There's a few instances of that. but And mainly the separation by the inability to communicate effectively. So have you ever been in a situation where you're in an argument or you've overheard somebody else in an argument and one side of the person in that argument doesn't want to be in this argument. They're really trying to say whatever they can and be sincere and but it's just going the wrong. Everything they say is just making everything worse. Yes. And that's where I felt like this is going. Uh, like it just somebody's trying to put all this back together in. Well, what do you mean? That's what you said. You know, and then everything just gets turned upside down. And that's kind of the beginning of the album and the journey that he's going to take us through. And I, and I think it's, it's quite smart. I think, yeah, I, I think you're right on the money. And especially having watched that documentary, which um, uh, I'm sure I'm assuming you, you've seen it, right? You've seen it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I because, <laughs> yeah, he comes across as some of these guys that doesn't want conflict, that'll shy away from him. And in the movie, there's something just you described that argument between Jay Bennett and him over just like yeah. a stupid thing, like a transition from one song to the yeah. other. And the, <laughs> Jay Bennett yeah. wanted to just keep arguing with him about it. It's like I don't care. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more to that story. I think. I think that, you know, I think Jay at that point was really trying to take over a lot of stuff that he frankly didn't need to take over. Um, oh, you know, okay. He was okay. getting writing credits on the album, and I think that he felt that there was too much of Tweedy's imprint on this album, and he wanted to try and sort of wrestle some of that yeah, away. Yeah, and, and he I kind think, of admits that in a way in the movie. I mean, he, he says that himself, that, yeah, maybe that he was. But, uh, yeah, you know, bands, you know, Steve, bands can be uh, rough. Those kooky bands. <laughs> those kooky bands. All right, so we get uh, we get a song here, uh, misspelled. He likes doing that. He likes playing, like you mm-hmm. said, he likes playing around with words, and this is Camera with a K. Listen to Camera. I need a camera to my eye, to my eye, reminding which lies that I've been hiding, which echoes belong. In my heart, 
love that. Phone my family, tell them I'm lost on the sidewalk, and no, it's not okay. So here's here's that separation that you were talking about, right? Yeah, isolation. Um, yeah, right, right. I uh, think where he's coming from. And this one, you know, if, if you listen to the first track, thing, think, oh, the whole of the album is going to be like this. They come in and say, well, not exactly. I mean, this... He's listening to a lot of Krautrock and stuff, and there's, I think there's a little kind of shadows of, I'm pronouncing this correctly, but N-E-U, what is that? Is that new or noise? Oh, noise. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So oh, yeah, for sure. That, that kind of, whether it's just kind of low-key and it doesn't really have much of a chorus and um, kind of a thing. So, And it's very introspective at this point, um, but very, very different from the first track. It's not all this crazy percussion and right. weird kind of objects being thrown at pianos and stuff it's right. it's you know it's <laughs> almost like it could come from a different record right yeah exactly exactly and then uh yeah and then we go into the next one radio cure which is another like uh, different again we get a little different and this one i'm i'm not sure let's i'll play a little and then we could discuss because i think uh, you know i i think i have an idea what maybe he's going for but i could be totally off base but let's listen okay. to radio cure song has a mood for sure this is <laughs> right <laughs> it does yeah um I, you know he's conveying you know like i said paint what you feel i think this is a paint what you feel song definitely i'm gonna kind of go for a little tangent and tell you a very very brief story and ask your opinion on it do it something my father told me when i was a kid that stayed with me for a long your dad was in the military right he was in the navy right he was yes so my dad was uh did national service in the 50s whatever he told me that soldiers this back before they had any way of communicating with anybody right didn't have even a letter would take months to get to somebody the loved ones at home would sometimes miss them and what they would do to comfort themselves is it would say you would go out in the night and look at the stars and realize that whatever stars you're looking at i'm looking at the same so is that something that you ever heard from like what military people stories they used to tell was this my dad being poetic <laughs> uh, well it, it, it's absolutely your dad being poetic and i have heard of people doing that but not necessarily in the soldiers thing i don't know my dad used to tell me mainly stories about getting uh getting picked on because he was jewish on an aircraft carrier oh, but okay. uh, <laughs> but uh no that's uh yeah that that's it's, great that that's a great stayed uh, with image. me and i don't know atmosphere you know you know astronomically if that's correct in different parts of the world but it's a very poetic image it is and, yeah. and then when and there's a lot of stuff if you listen to other wilco material there's a lot of stuff about this distance and stars and all that sort of stuff so when uh, he, okay, he's okay. talking about stars i think he's talking about he talks about it later on in the album and it, it creeps up throughout like i said a lot of different welcome material and i think it's kind of an analogy for distance it's the analogy for the only way that because the inability to communicate by any sort of standard means is really not working out right so we have to go back to the spaces of communications to just understand that we're at least on the same planet we're looking up at the same thing together 
and we're, we're, we could be a lot closer than you think. So I think poetically it's it's quite beautiful, even though the song is a bit of a dirge. It, it, um, it is, but it def- like from. I said, it definitely it it, it 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 paints a picture, and it's not you know it could be a, a depressing picture in a way. It sounds very, but uh, yeah, I, I think you're I think you're right. I think that whole thing because the radio to me when he says uh, my mind is filled with radio cures, electronic surgical words. I think he's talking about he's trying to convey something maybe that you can't even really convey. You know, just like uh, this feeling that he's just trying to put these, you know, sounds together and these words together to convey this feeling. And maybe that'll be the the uh, cure that you're looking for. Like instead of, you know, looking, hearing like a song on the radio, like the radio cure, looking up at the stars and thinking a loved one somewhere else is also looking at it. So, yeah, maybe he's trying to that's the idea is like he's just trying to convey that in a way that's almost that, that you really can't, you know. And sums it up at the end, one, two, three, four, five times by saying distance has no way of making love understandable. So so that if you're if you're already having trouble, then distance is only going to exacerbate the problem. And right. that's that's where he's coming from. Yep. All right. So this next one, War on War, uh, something I, I appreciate more, especially after seeing the documentary, is how much. I feel like the album, it, it like it, it's like you said, the whole story of the album adds to everything. It adds to the experience of it. And this, because I feel like War and War, it's sort of about the need to experience, you know, failure, like and accept mm-hmm. failure. And it, when he says, if you want to live life to the fullest, you have to accept, you know, you, you have to lose, you have to learn how to die if you want to be alive. And that's kind of like, you know, I feel like that's kind of like what they went through with this whole thing, you know? Uh, I don't know if that's what he was going for or not with the war on war yeah he doesn't talk a lot in the interviews about meanings of songs but he kind of glanced over this one a little bit in the fact that it's supposed to be a very and it's upbeat it's a positive song but and i think in terms of saying you have to learn how to die if you want to be alive and i think about somebody that might be going through you know trying to get over addiction or something or right, something really right, horrible right, right. that that as horrible as it is you got to go through it to, to sort of become whole again and he was having a problem with opiates around the time of, before writing this album so right. you know that that could very well have been crept into the material yep but uh aside from all that it's a catchy damn a catchy little song right <laughs> let's listen to a little <laughs> bit of war on war Just listening to that rhythm section, it's like so, it seems simple. It sounds so simple, but man, what the drummer and the bass player are doing here mm-hmm. in the rhythm is like so, it's so great and it's so hard. You know, it sounds like something you wouldn't even think of, but it's, you know, they just, they just have this groove and they lock in and the dynamics. I mean, just the way, the way, the way he hits his snare, on it, it's just, mm-hmm. it's great. I mean, he was lucky, really lucky to have these guys making this album with him. Yeah, I think, I, I think so. I, I was surprised that Glenn didn't get any writing credits on the album that I'm aware of. Oh, so, right, you know, right, I right. think that yeah, Jay got quite a, quite a few, um, rightly so, but um, I really think that this album isn't this album without the drummer. There, oh, there is absolutely. no way. Yeah, it's, it, he's really, I'm the producer, I mean, with Jim, but I think coming together, 
this song. And now this is when I listen to this record and I go, the record, like, what, did you listen to this song? Or did you just listen to the first one? Because I this think they stuff just on here were, were out after the first one, Steve. Yeah, so that's where they said, <laughs> right, we've had enough of this. I mean, this is what I hear, like, kinks in here. I hear, like, you know, yeah, a whole yeah. bunch of stuff in here that, I could hear this on the radio, but maybe that's just me. No, no. I Yeah. Well, it probably is just you, maybe, but it's me yeah. too. I agree with you. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. So we get uh, Jesus, uh, et cetera, which I, I don't think this is religious. I mean, it's called Jesus, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I read it was supposed, it was called Jesus, uh, don't cry. But when he kept referencing mm-hmm. it, like instead of saying don't cry, mm-hmm. it was easy to just say, et cetera. And then he just kept it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's 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 not Jesus don't cry it's Jesus don't cry exactly exactly you know? <laughs> there you go but uh all right let's listen to a little bit of Jesus etc Don't cry You can rely on me, honey You can combine anything you want I'll be around You write about the stars Each one is a setting sun Tall buildings shake, voices escape, singing sad, sad songs. Tilted chords strung down your cheeks, bitter melodies turning your orbit around. Don't cry, you can rely on me, honey. You can come by anytime you. So here we have stars again, like you said. He's bringing mm-hmm. up. You the were stars. right about the stars. Each one is a setting sun. This is a, this is the one that people hear and think is about nine eleven. I know, so, I know, because it, yeah. it would almost be hard for someone not to, because when it came out, and yeah. he's mentioning tall buildings shake and uh, uh, you know skyscraper, but obviously it's not. It was written before no. it, so it's just written like before. Weird, but yeah. I was thinking about it recently. So April of twenty twenty two is when the actual album went on sale. And we're still pretty much at that point, you know, everything was all still 9-11. I mean, right, every news. Right. And you could listen to James Taylor's Fire and Rain and think that was about 9-11. I guess so. You're probably right. The time. <laughs> but I think that some of the, what he does is he, he writes in a way that it's supposed to be kind of interpreted by the listener. So I think some of that's on purpose. So I think that that's why people, I mean, tall buildings shake. Yeah, that definitely skyscrapers are scraping together. Your last cigarettes, all you can get, turning your orbit around. Um, but some great lines in here. Our love is all of God's money, which is just a terrific line. Yeah, um, it is. Everyone's a burning sun. Um, I you just think it's this. This is the kind of the soul. This song is the soul of the record, and I think that um, obviously a very very popular song live. And I think that goes towards, as I said, people interpreting what they what they really feel inside this song itself. Beautifully written and beautifully produced. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and so I I wanted to ask you when you got this one, were you like because it is one of these things I feel like you listen to more and it, some of the songs get under your skin. But were you like on board it right away, or were you thinking at first, man, this is weird, and then it just sort of grew on you? No, you know what, Rob? It was around the time two thousand and two. So I just got a new job, doing real well. Married my longtime girlfriend Kim, <laughs> so right. bought a house. Shout Everything's out to going Kim. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Everything's going really nicely. I'm not really looking for an album that's going to challenge the way I think about music. I'm quite <laughs> happy. I think I've a, I think I own a couple of uh, Coldplay albums and Counting Crow albums, but at this point, and this album comes along, and I just and just from from song number one, I went, oh wait a minute. I mean, the only one that did that, I mean, what, OK Computer was what, 97? I was, that's, so, yeah, that's funny you mentioned that, because I actually, at one point, I was going to bring that up, because, yeah, I feel like it's kind of the same type of album for, it would be like that for a lot of people. Yeah, so intriguing that you just want to be able to go back and, and this is one of those records that I generally only listen to the whole of the album. I, I'm not usually sort of listening to songs 
you know, on a playlist, it's just, that's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. That's, it's like listening to Quadrophenia or certain albums that I'll just listen to all the way through. Right. And right. that's become one of those for me. And it is put, it, it is put together very uh, meticulously. And this next one, well, that was, I think that was what they were arguing about was the ashes uh, um, of this American the, flags yeah. into uh, the next track, right? Uh, <laughs> it's the transit. And to me, it was like that spinal tap, it goes to 11 conversation because it sounded like they were arguing about the same thing. It did. Yeah, but it did. It was There's a transition between, it was totally ridiculous. between ashes of American flags and the song that comes after it. Right. And, and, and they're arguing about the transition, but it's obviously very, very important. And when we get there, I think I'll, I might be able to shed some light on it. Oh, okay, good. All right, well, let's listen to the first one, uh, Ashes of American Flags. The cash machine I didn't appre- I didn't appreciate it, but now I definitely have more of an appreciation for it. I still don't understand. I don't really know what he's got, what it's about, or what he's going on about. But I definitely appreciate it more as a song. It's, I, I uh, what, it's really what I've read a couple of snippets. People think of Ashes of American Flags once again. They think that's a nine eleven reference, um, right. no, or no. that people think it's a, a reference to freedom of burning the American flag. I think that um, I think that's a little too sort of literal. And I don't think he was trying to be overly cryptic here. I think that the reference to the cash machine, he's isolated. He's in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't know where he is. And the only thing that's familiar to him is the blue and green of the cash machine, right? That's right. It's like Bowie's beer like to guide us. It's the, it's that's his, his piece. And, and that's, that's the only thing that's kind of bringing him sort of down to earth and saying, I don't know where I am, but this is the only thing that sort of seems to be familiar to me. And, and, and going um, throughout the rest of the song, I want a good life for the nose for things, fresh wind and bright sky to enjoy my suffering. There's some Henry Miller in here, Hole Without a Key. That's uh, Tropic Cancer, right? Uh, yes, and I, and I heard he like he was like obsessed with that and would walk around mm-hmm. with that book all, constantly, like would have that book yeah. around him. Um, and at the end, uh, the line, I would like to salute the ashes of American flags and all the falling leaves filling up shopping bags. I felt this was a reference to being stuck out on the road somewhere and not having the ability to come home for, I don't know whether it's Memorial Day or Veterans Day, days that, you know, some of us get off. Right. And the reference so, to falling leaves uh, yeah, in, in yeah. the fall. So, and, uh, so not really anything to do with America per se or, or that or anything like that. Yeah, he's just... I don't uh, think uh, so. Painting a picture. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I I agree with that. And uh, in between here and the next song is this, it's this really weird transition piece. So the first time I heard it, it reminded me, like, you've seen, you're not a sci-fi fan, are you, Bob? Uh, Bob? Yeah, no, yeah. And you've seen 2001, like the end of the 2001, the Stargate scene where yes, he's yes. Like being fast-forwarded in time. And it reminded me a little of that, and I thought, well, maybe that's he's being literal because he's going back to a previous time when he was much younger. Right, right. And so like a time travel. That's maybe he was thinking, I, I want it to sound kind of like time travel, like we're traveling yeah. back in time. Maybe. Going, yeah. going back to a time that was a lot more innocent than the rest of this album is. Yes. And, uh, and, and yeah, and, and this song does a really good job. I, I always, I mean, this is, uh, this is like a hard song not to like. How could you not like this song, right? I mean, 
<laughs> Although, except maybe, I don't like, I mean, it's true that these girls fall in love with these heavy metal drums, but don't, just a, a cautionary tale to girls. Don't go for the drummer, come on. No. <laughs> aim higher, aim a little higher. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's listen to a little bit of heavy metal drummer. Catchy. And I always thought, I have no idea if it's true, but when he goes that part when they go playing Kiss Covers, Beautiful and Stone, and then they, and then, uh, they go, it, it sounds like a call, like they're doing a little homage to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, like American Girl. It sounds like the same ooh that they, that they do yeah. in uh, American Girl. I, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe. I don't think he's ever played Kiss Covers. I think that is in reference to. Yeah, no, I um, don't think. Yeah, in, I, I think I actually read somewhere. Yeah, where he was saying, no, no, that's not me. I wasn't that. But he's, but he sort of thinks back and go, why was I, why was I an asshole to these, you know, these these kids or, or these other bands, you know, that were uh, playing yeah. these heavy metal bands. They were just they were enjoying themselves, and they were the ones getting all the girls too. Yeah, it could have been <laughs> it. And I think he's probably been quite young at this age, and I think this is a bar down in St. Louis, right? Because he lived in Southern Illinois at that oh, time. Okay, okay. So I think. May have been the landing. I think was a was a bar in St. Louis where, oh, nice, where nice. they used to go frequent. And other than that, I think that this song is just. I think it's pretty literal. I don't think there's a lot of. I think anything, so, right? No, anything really cryptic be, in here, but uh, but done yeah. really great. And just again, just listening to the those drums and the bass locked in like that, it's so yeah. good. Yeah, really well done. By the way, I was I was the kid in the band playing a Kiss cover, so that was me. <laughs> You were, I know, yeah, I did a lot of covers. I just never really got into Kiss. I, I did. Know. I'm older. Yeah. I think. Well, I think I'm a little older than you. I don't know. Middle school. When I first started playing uh, uh, in bands, that's what we would do because we, uh, we were all Kiss fans and we played a lot of Kiss covers. So. I don't know. Rush covers. Yeah. Oh, no, God, I was never. No, good no to rush do that. covers. No, I could. I, not me. <laughs> but when you were young, that was how. Like, if you played a Rush song, a Hendrix song, you would try to convince yourself that you were better than you actually were, because you could get through the bloody song. And it's not because you know, right, so, you right. know, because it was so difficult. And, yeah, no, and, that's why I know. became a Ramones fan because I wanted shit that that I could play. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. All right, so I'm the one. This is this is probably like the sweetest I think type song on here as far as uh, I guess it's about loving like you love someone but you really can't express the you can't express it that well but you're still but he's trying to i think what he's doing in this mm -hmm. song uh i'm the man who loves you <laughs> Spinning wheels and hands that feel 
putting stones to throw and feet that run but come back home and make no difference ever known and make no difference ever known to me and if I could you know I would just hold your hand and you'd understand So yeah, watching again, I'm, I'm gonna just go back to the uh, documentary. It's you could sort of see it, it, it's it's really interesting because you see what's happening with them, and especially uh, you know between him and uh, Jay Bennett. So after after this, they were obviously you know they they put the record out, it becomes big, but they were that's it. Jay's gone. He's out of the band, right? He's gone. Yeah, yeah. So he's gone, and you know I I think he's a tremendous musician. Um, he can play pretty much everything. Yes, right. And right. he's one of those guys, what do they call him? Like a utility man, right? He can play anything. Right, right. Um, sing, write, produce, engineer. Um, and I just think it got a, got ahead of him. And he, um, I think he passed away like about six or seven years later. Yeah, 2009, drug I saw overdose. that. Yeah, yeah, accidental drug overdose. Um, it's really unfortunate. I was surprised that he, I know he did a lot of work, after this record and there's some solo albums of his, but I'm surprised that he didn't find himself with kind of another big act because I think that he's just one of those guys that, like I said, you can pay one guy and he can step in and, and he can play do everything. everything. Yeah. Which is great. That's, that's I, pretty. I love yeah. guys. Yeah. Guys like that are great. And this song very upbeat with, there's no like 100% upbeat song. Like the guitar is a little dissonant. That's a very Jeff Tweedy thing. He loves the like dissonant guitar type right, stuff right. just to keep you on the edge a little bit. Yep. But this is the song that reminds me of the kids to me. It's like, oh yeah, it's a yeah, little bit like, um, Absolutely. like when, they come, when it comes in the second verse of Eight Man by the Kinks and he has that very whimsical kind of, kind of thing about the song and about how he's doing the vocals. It yeah, yeah. Oh, very, yeah, for not, sure. Not exactly, but it sounds very, very much like that to me. Yep, I can hear it. Um, all right, so Pot Kettle Black, what, what, uh, the Pot Calling the Kettle Black is what? It's an expression that means uh, condemning someone even though you you kind of have the same trait, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So hypocrite, basically like being a hypocrite. But I don't know, I don't know if that's ex- exactly what he's saying in the song. I don't know, it could be, but let's listen to Pot Kettle Black. Where's the magic wand? Empty out your pockets. Words without a song. You know, listening now, because I've, I've been listening to this in my car, I've been listening to my house, but now when I do this, I'm listening to it in headphones, and you really hear a lot of what they did, these little things they put in, these little, you know, sounds and touches that really, uh, that really just add it's a like, lot I don't know, it's like in the third verse, like a little, it's not like a cricket to me. Yes, you know, like, right. It must be exactly. some percussion thing. Or, well, who yep. knows, maybe they had crickets in a jar. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. They, uh, you saw in the, in the documentary, there's a there's at one point, there's this room that's just filled with all these kind of noise machines. Right. <laughs> they've taken like the, these fans, and they've taken the, the front of the fans off and put like brushes on the, on the blades of the fans. And yep, yep. it's playing a, an instrument or something. Um, 
the beginning of this song, just a little slight nod to the guitar part on In Between Days by The Cure. Ah, oh, right. Uh, oh, yeah. If you Absolutely. listen to it back to back, it, it might sound. Um, I'm not 100% sure where he's going on this one. I, but yeah, he's yeah. saying, I don't, I don't want to get caught calling Kale Black. So I think this might have some of this uh, in this album. I think there's references to kind of how he writes and how he's writing material. And I think this might be one of them, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you're, you're probably right. And, uh, you know, sometimes the song's uh, just a song and you don't have to dig that deep into it, right? <laughs> sometimes <laughs> not on this album uh, yeah well that's true and and especially the last two songs there's a lot there's a lot to unpack in the last two songs um yes. yeah and this one uh man let's uh let's listen to a little bit and we'll talk about it of poor places it's my father's voice drilling off sailors sailing off in the morning For the air-conditioned rooms at the top of the stairs He's just been broken, his bandages wrapped too tight His fangs have been pulled and I really want to see you tonight just because the way the song kind of shifts gears, you know? Yeah, there's that chorus which sounds a little bit like In My Life by the Beatles. So maybe you get a chance ah. to play the chorus when it gets there. It's a very similar chord progression. Right, right. Just for the chorus. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you know, that's just another thing interesting. A lot of these songs, they don't, either the chorus comes late or sometimes mm-hmm. they don't really have a true chorus in them, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah like the, the first track, I think it's six or seven verses before you get to a chorus. So, right, right. Um, and that's part of the sort of deconstruction thing. And I think that there's something in this one where this might be referencing kind of what he does as, as far as being a songwriter and trying to trying to put this work together um there's a line in here that says um there's bourbon on the breath yep, of the singer you love so much he takes all of his words from the books that you don't read anyway and <laughs> that's a great that's great so it's a great line and we go back to that tropic of cancer being earlier yeah uh, but i read he put out a couple of books and one of them is this really really slim book and it's called how to write one song and it, it's it. What it is is it's him going through his creative process of saying that stuff doesn't happen to me. It doesn't fall out of the sky. I have to work for it. And there's I, if I sat around waiting for inspiration, I'd be broken, hungry. Yeah. So so here's are the things I do to try to get myself inspired. This is what my day looks like. And this is how you could help. And one of the things he says is you get stuck. Just pick up a book off a shelf. Just open it to a page. And I'm not saying you have to read the exact line although some people do that, but maybe just look at the meter of the words and yeah, see how yeah. the, the meter or the color of the words and try to try to use some of that to sort of spark more creativity. So um, it, it's it's a unique way of, of kind of, most songwriters aren't really going to share that much and be that transparent with people, but I, I thought it was pretty cool that he did that. That it is. And actually, shout out to my friend Javi, Javi Caballero, because he's not a, he's one of these guys really smart, but doesn't read, you know, doesn't read at all. And for his birthday last year, I got him that book because I know he's a big Wilco fan and I bought him that okay. book and he read it and he said it was great. He, he, yeah, he loved it's, it. it's interesting to it's try to get you out of 
you know, get you out of kind of the, the ruts that you're in and try to open up your your mind to being creative as opposed to waiting for inspiration. It's it's a really good, good book to read. Right. All right, so now we get the ending, a, a bittersweet, kind of a bittersweet-sounding ending to the record. And and I was going to mention the song before in this one, too. Some of it reminds me a little of, like, Velvet Underground-y, the way they have mm-hmm. the, the, the droning. You know, he does the droning stuff in there. So I think some of that's, uh, some of that's in here, too. And uh, let's listen to a little bit of the final track, Reservation. So indifferent to the look in your eyes When I've always been distant And I've always told lies for love I'm bound by these choices So hard to make I'm bound by the feelings So easy to fake None of this is real Enough to take me from you working through some shit with this whole album right yeah and i think this is the summing up of you know he's just summing up at the end i have reservations about so many things but not about you and i think that it just kind of condenses down into that one line and uh, this song is starts off slowly and has about four minutes worth of little squeaks and pips and pops at the end (laughs) i tell you i did i've seen these guys several times and i they did a 20th anniversary show of this album uh this year because it's been 20 years. Uh, and they did, I think, four shows in New York. And they did three shows in Chicago. I saw the last night of the tour of this seven. And when they played this song, at the end of this song, there's all this atmospheric stuff that's very, very quiet. As they get to that point, there's a bit of a cheer from the crowd. And the whole of the crowd sits and listens to all four minutes of that. And you could hear a pin drop. And oh, it was wow. done, done so beautifully. And it yeah. kind of give you chills right at the end. And and they 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 finished, of course, with this song, and they go off and they come back to do encores. And they come back and do encores. They came back and did kind of a small set of 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 Jay Bennett Wilco songs. And oh wow! That was really really cool. Just to see them come out and just just honor Jay at the end and and do that material. Yeah. Um, and one thing we haven't mentioned yet, which is sidebar, if somebody wants to go off down that tangent, the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Uh, that you hear at the end of Poor Places comes from a collection of recordings called the Conic Project, where somebody went and gathered all of these old Cold War um, number stations that are transmitting all over the world, these secret sort of sinister clandestine messages. Um, so if you want to check it out, it's really freaking bizarre because you don't know what this message is who these messages are for, what their intentions it's, are. It's uh, creepy, right? It's, it uh, is it's really creepy. creepy. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> but if, you, if you're into that sort of thing, you can you can find some of that stuff. It's called the Conet Project and, and listen to a few of those before it starts driving you completely mad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, nice. See, see, some people are scared. I don't know why some people got this. I guess I must have mentioned something about you. And I don't know. I guess it just doesn't. Maybe his songwriting in a way doesn't it doesn't speak to me as much as other songwriters mm-hmm. and other things do that's just the way it is you know sometimes but yeah no i i enjoyed this album and it's fine people let steve be a lesson to all of you bring whatever record you want to bring and talk about it and i'm fine with it and this some of the i i understand that sometimes critically acclaimed albums you know people look down their noses at them right because yeah cause i had that even like when we did 
the Elvis Costello record. I, I learned that there were so many people that I thought that liked Elvis Costello, but didn't, you know? Oh, really? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my wife being one of them. So, um, wow. so um, yeah. And, so and you guys are still married, though. That's awesome. And we are still doing great. But critically acclaimed, when you, people say, oh, it's critically acclaimed, people think, oh, that's something I'm not going to want to listen to or if it's, if it's tough to get through. But, um, yeah, just there's so much stuff out there, new stuff and old stuff that you can just get through a few listens and listen to them in different formats and, and as you go about your day and just let let the records come to you and you discover all kinds of stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is definitely, yeah, one of those albums that you can, there's, there's a lot to uh, discover there. There was. Yeah, so thanks again. Uh, this was great to bring it. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget, uh, you could follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also that Facebook group got me high on Twitter. It's at TRGMH podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. And if you really want to, if you really want to do something, get get in the spirit, get in the holiday spirit. Go to Patreon, become a patron of the show. Come on, guys, you could do it. Go to patreon.com forward slash trjmh, uh, become a patron of the show or not, you know, whatever you, you do, you it's fine. But either way, but I love, uh, I really appreciate all the patrons, and we have a lot of fun. We do these patron curated episodes. Steve has participated in some of those. Um, so it's a lot of fun. So think of that, Steve. Once again, thanks. I, I hope you stay warm this winter because I don't know. We'll be fine. We hope you are. We have different levels of jackets, as I say. Good. 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 So okay. You, you, have you have a jacket that's so warm you can't even wear it indoors. That's where we're at. Right oh now. right. That, okay. That well, that, that's good. And you can always just go inside, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks again. This is great. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you all next week. I'm Rob Elba. We're out of here. Say it